it's time to take off on the Award Travel 101 podcast. Helping you maximize your travel rewards, no matter your destination or budget. Now here are your hosts, Award Travel 101 Community Managers, Angie Sparks and Joseph Petrovic, to help you do extraordinary things on Ordinary Money. Did you know that more award space has been popping up than what we've seen in years? Rather than spending hours per trip searching on your own, let Thrifty Traveler Premium's Army of Flight Analysts do the work for you with their customized premium alerts. Whether using miles or points, or you're just looking for a cheap cash flight, Thrifty Traveler Premium will send customized alerts just for you from your selection of home airports, like 43,000 round trip to Japan. Want business class instead? They have you covered there too for 60,000 points one way. Other examples include Emirates Live Flat Business to Athens for 62,000 points, Air France KLM Business Class to Europe and North Africa for 30,000 points, and even their brand new Nerd Alert feature for unique first class service like Etihad Apartments or Cutter First Class. So if you want more premium deal award alerts sent straight to your inbox, Head on over to thriftytraveler.com and use promo code AT101 for $10 off your first year. Twenty twenty three is coming to a close, and we wish everyone a happy holiday and new year. In the last episode, episode forty seven of the Award Travel One Hundred One podcast, our topic of conversation covered twenty five program changes that now return less value not the happiest of subject. So we wanted to end the year on a higher note with Award Wallet's Ryan Smith, who completed his goal and joined us from his final country, St. Vincent, to discuss the journey and how award travel not only helped him to save money, but how he turned his hobby and unique skills into a viable career in the travel reward space. But before we jump into that, the Award Travel 101 community is expanding and we're looking for energetic folks who find joy in sharing their knowledge and helping others navigate this exciting realm. If this sounds interesting, check out our moderator application form here. And finally, from the folks at Award Wallet and all of us on the Award Travel 101 team, Allison, Angie, Jackie, Mike, Eric, and me, thanks for your support. It wouldn't have been possible without you tuning in and joining in the community conversation every week. And now back to the show. Welcome to the Award Travel 101 podcast. I have a special guest with us this afternoon, this evening, whatever it is in your time zone. And I have Ryan Smith of Award Wallet with us. Welcome, Ryan. Hey, it's great to be here. How are you doing? I am splendid. It's getting cold around here. So I'm in Northeast Ohio. The snow is falling. The roads are getting icy and uh, all the times that you want to fly away and go somewhere nicer. And all the salt is getting stuck to the bottom <laughs> of your car. It, it's, it's always a process up here, but we have some cool things to talk about because the other day, you became one of very few people I'm aware of who've done something quite unique in the miles and points or award travel community. And you hit a, or you completed a record, I guess, of sorts. So you, you did 193 
UN countries. And as it was written in the post on Award Wallet, which I'll share in the show notes, we actually have a 197 countries. So you want to tell us a little bit about that real quickly, and then we'll kind of get into your background and how you got started on all this. Yeah, sure. So I just finished visiting every country in the world. Um, as you said, there's 193 countries that are full members of the United Nations. And then there, there's four additional countries that have treaty-making powers and they participate in several United Nations committees, but they're not full members for various different reasons. Surprisingly, when you tell people that Taiwan isn't a member of the United Nations, they get kind of surprised. So out of there's 193 full members, and I've been to all of those countries, but I've also been to four other places that I'm counting as countries, which are the Vatican, Kosovo, Palestine, and, and Taiwan. So I'm counting personally that I've been to 197 countries, whether you say 193, 197, there's like 211 members of FIFA. They all have kind of different metrics of what is and isn't a country, but by any of those metrics, I've been to all of the countries now. Yeah, I know that it, it, you can get really into the weeds with it and uh, uh, things that I've seen with different zones and stuff like that. So I'm sure that people, just like when they're getting started with credit card rewards, there's different levels to the game and, and how you get into it. So it's definitely an interesting thing to look into. It was something I didn't even really pay much attention to. I think until we entered COVID, I, I want to say right, right around 2020, I started paying attention to some of the country collectors out there and what they were doing to try to get to all of the different countries out there and then how they viewed those countries or uh, if they really started getting into the weeds, the different zones. So before we jump into like some of those places you've been and, and the journey you took, how did this all get started? Sure. Um, I, I think it really kind of started for me when I was in the army, I was stationed in Germany for about two and a half years. And while I was there, I had been to a couple of countries in Europe before then. And so while I was in Germany, I just kind of made this goal of, I'm going to try to go to all the countries in Europe while I'm here. You know, I've got two and a half years. It's really easy to travel if you're living in Europe, you know, and I, and I was really lucky. I had German holidays off work and I had U.S. holidays <laughs> off work. And if, and if you've ever, if you know anything about Bavaria, which is where I was living, they have a lot of church holidays. So I had like a three-day weekend or a four-day weekend almost every month. And a friend of mine and I, we would just like, we just kept a, you know, go bag near the door and we would just look at, okay, we've got a three-day weekend coming up. What's cheap? Where can I take a train for the weekend? Where can I catch a cheap flight with Ryanair? All I need is a carry-on bag. And we would just try to go wherever we could over the weekend because I had this goal of trying to visit all the countries in Europe. And then I did some backpacking around like Southeast Asia about like seven, eight years ago. And I realized at one point, like, I think I've been to about half the countries in the world. Why don't I just try to go to all of them? And so it was around that point, like 2016-ish, that I decided I wanted to go to every country. And I had really never thought about it before that. Yeah, it's something I've not gotten into too much because my travels, while it may look like I travel often, are pretty much limited to this country, to the United States of America. And so I've been to very few countries outside of the U.S., 
I do quite extensive traveling domestically, but it is amazing to when you start thinking about it in a broader sense, what you can do and what you can accomplish, especially as you get into some of these different zones. You get into Southeast Asia, and there are a lot of countries you could hit real quick on some of these cheap budget carriers, or you go to Europe and you can bounce around. I mean, they're the Half the countries are smaller than lots of the states here in the you know right. U.S. So you, it, you think about taking a, a road trip. I don't know how easy it is to do that in Europe. Uh, depends on, I guess, whether you're staying in certain zones or not, and what you're crossing. But you know, you can always take a, a cheap flight too. So I, I I was thinking of something when you mentioned flying like Ryanair or something like that. It, have you ever uh, gotten any kind of specialties with your first name being Ryan? <laughs> no, I never got anything. I, I like it, it was always kind of you could tell in their mind that the people wanted to make a joke at the check-in <laughs> counter, and then I think they second-guessed. They're like, "Oh, he's probably heard this before," and they just. It, I could always tell that they thought about it and changed their minds. Yeah, it was uh, something because I, I know there are folks in the communities that name their kids like after hotels or like the Conrad or something like that and try to use that for like specialties when their kids go traveling with them and stuff like that. So everybody has a little different approach to it. So you got started in the country chasing in 2016. So some years back and all total, that's what, like, see, seven, eight years now to wrap like up what you ago. were. You were, uh, you were once you'd hit around the halfway point or so. Yeah. And so I turned 41 earlier this year and originally my goal had been to try to finish by the time that I turned 40, but then obviously COVID threw a big right. wrench into that. Yeah. The traveling during that time, I think changed a lot of people's ability to move around. And I know some people uh, took off just before borders closed down and, and got stuck outside of the country and but thankfully, you know, they were able to work digitally. So they, they did things differently that way. I know that 2020, since I started traveling, um, it was definitely the slowest year I think I've had since I started traveling, period. So that was, you know, a, certainly a hit to it. So did, what did you find happen after that, though? Yeah, I think definitely in the period when borders started reopening, there were so many extra restrictions. And I really tried to focus a lot of my travel on places that I was less worried about getting stuck, I think is the best way to summarize it. Once I started traveling again, you know, even after I had gotten vaccinated and I could get those, you know, the COVID test before departure, if the airline was requiring it or the destination was requiring it, there's obviously always the concern what if i am in this other country and i test positive what happens and i would and i spent a lot of time reading those policies as i would think about where i was going to go on my next trip because i would be fine with okay if i'm sick i need to isolate myself in the hotel they're maybe they're going to put a guard outside my door to make sure i don't leave or something like this i'm fine with that but if they're going to you know put me in some wing of the hospital and take my phone away from me and I'm going to have no contact with the outside world. That sucks. It's not fair to my family because they're going to have no idea where I am, what I'm doing, what's going on. And so I really started choosing my destinations based on, you know, worst case scenarios and what was I willing to risk and what was I not willing to risk if I would get sick and I would test positive 
in another country, you know, what are they going to do to me? And, and I guess I was fortunate enough that I, you know, I don't have any like pre-existing conditions that put my health at risk. I was never so much worried about, you know, what if I would really get sick? Because I guess I'm fortunate enough that, you know, I don't have any, you know, lung capacity problems or, you know, any kind of other health conditions that would realistically make me have those concerns. So I was very lucky in that regard, obviously, but I really started basing travel once it reopened up on what would potentially happen if I would test positive in this other country. I'm, you know, if I just isolate in your own hotel, I'm willing to do that. I've got the points and I can, you know, just add nights to my reservation until I get better and, you know, can get a negative test and fly home. But if it was something much more abrasive, I'll just go to those places later. So with that in mind, where were you at this point in your journey towards 193 or 197 uh, when, when this broke out? Um, so my wife and I had, were living in Brazil at the time. My wife's originally from Brazil. And so we were still living in Brazil. And funny enough, you know, people started asking us like, you know, why did you start traveling again? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, Brazil was so bad during the pandemic that we actually felt safer going to other places because the infection rates and everything were just so high in Brazil that actually traveling and being somewhere else, we felt was safer and better for us. So it was kind of funny that when we started traveling again, we realized, well, you know, let's just go to these other countries that are having much better <laughs> numbers than what Brazil's having right now. So we started. And we also um, did travel that we um, to go to places where we knew we were going to do things outside. So, like, we went to Cappadocia and we and you know did a lot of outdoor activities and balloon rides and that kind of stuff that was all outside. We went to Tanzania and you know booked a safari, which we knew we were going to be outside. So, a lot of it was based off of also what can we do that's going to be safe you know are we going to book a trip and go to the louvre that's going to be just packed with people in the middle of paris no let's look for other things we went to the galapagos and went scuba diving and based travels around these types of things once travel started reopening up because it was something that we felt safe with as we eased back into travel it felt you know much less just like jumping back into the deep end when travel restarted it it felt like a good way to ease into things even though the distance to those places was quite large once we got there the activities uh were things that we were comfortable with as we eased back into it to feel out you know how is travel now because obviously it had changed so much with that in mind you mentioned your wife and that she's from brazil is she joining you for all of these journeys that when you're going and is she have her own kind of goal to do all the countries that as well? No, she doesn't. Um, she goes to the countries with me that she wants to go to. <laughs> and then the, and then the countries that she's never heard of before she tends to stay home. So we, we were actually just talking about now that I've completed my big travel goal kind of, now let's focus on what are her travel goals and what does she want to do? And that was, it was an interesting discussion to have because really since we got married, a lot of our travel has been based around my goal of trying to visit every country. So, you know, 
instead of going here, like if we wanted to go somewhere for a beach destination, well, let's not go there. Let's go to this other place that has beaches because that's a country I haven't been to yet. And there, so there was a lot of altering our plans or the original idea might mutate a little bit in order to get to a country that I hadn't been to. And when we went to Tanzania, we added on Comoros, which is like a small island nation off the East coast of Africa. We added that for like a day and a half because we were in the region and we didn't want to fly all the way over the ocean to go to this place, but if we're going to be in the area, let's just add it on. So my wife wound up getting roped into a lot of these places <laughs> that weren't really destinations that she would have chosen. So it's been interesting now as we approached the date of me going to my final country and now that we've been here talking about you know what comes next because we both love travel it's now that i've been to every country it's not like we're going to just stop traveling but i think kind of the way we approach travel is going to change we can focus on where do we really want to go instead of going to where haven't i been and and allowing her to choose those places a big goal of hers is that she wants to go to all seven of the um, seven wonders of the world. She's been to five. So we want to try to get, you know, another one in 2024. And then the final one, maybe 2020, end of 2024 or 2025. And now that she, we actually recently started counting, like how many countries has she been to with me? And she's almost at 70 now. So she's decided she wants to try to go to half the countries in the world, which, uh, you know, it's, funny to put in perspective like next to me that doesn't sound like that much i've been to twice as many as her but compared to the average person that's quite a lot i don't know what the statistic is but i think she's got me blown out of the water (laughs) but i think that you know the average person from the u.s it's such a big country you can travel so far without leaving the country and you could go to you know caribbean beaches in southern florida all the way up to you know the ice flows and glaciers in Alaska, or you could go to a rainforest in Washington state or deserts around the Grand Canyon in the Southwest. So there's so much that you can do in the U.S. that it's kind of not surprising that not as many people in the U.S. have a passport or have been out of the country as another country. If you live in a small country, well, then it's just very easy. You drive, if you live in Luxembourg, it's so small. It's just very easy for you to cross the border and go somewhere else for the weekend. In the U.S., depending on where you are, it's it requires much more effort. And then there might be a change of language. There might be a different currency, that kind of stuff. Well, in the U.S., you just, you know, the same laws, the same rules, the same language, the same currency. Your ATM card, you know it's going to work there. So it's very different thinking about that kind of stuff and putting it into perspective, like against most people from the U S she's been to so many countries, but then compared to, but then compared to like me and some of the other people I have met along the way, you know, she hasn't been to that many. So it's really interesting. I guess the perspective of it, um, you know, depends on who <laughs> kind of who you're comparing her to. So yeah, we, she wants to try to get to like half the countries. We also have been trying to see some endangered animals that we're really interested in before, you know, maybe they're gone. 
you know, so those kind of travel goals, but she's definitely not trying to visit every country. There's just some that she's not interested in. So this brings me to an interesting point. So we've talked about it from travel and just travel, but where in this whole process did award travel come into play? Yeah, actually, I will always remember the exact place and where the exact time where I was. I was at a hostel in China and I, you know, was just talking to some other people and saying how, you know, I had wanted to come to China for a long time, but it's so far away and it's so expensive to get there. And this guy just, you know, nonchalantly turns around and he says, ah, uh, not really. I flew here for free on points. And I was just <laughs> hooked. I was like, you got to tell me about this. How does this stuff work? And just really started diving in. I think it matched all of these things that I had always had inside where I just love travel, but had always been, but my pace of travel was just restricted by my budget of what could I afford and when, you know, get home and when can I afford my next trip? How much is it going to cost? So once I heard about award travel, I mean, I was just hooked and jumped in with both feet and we were living in Brazil at the time. So it was really interesting learning about award travel because so much of this information comes out of the U.S. Just, just being bluntly honest, the U.S. has the best credit card offers for just getting a ton of points from a sign-up bonus. And But I was living in Brazil, so a lot of this information was, okay, here are the best uses of your Delta miles from the U.S. Here are the best uses of your United miles from the US. So I really had to learn, okay, now I've got all these United miles, but everything I'm reading tells me how to use them to fly from the US to X, Y, and Z. But how do I use my United miles to fly somewhere out of Brazil? So it was really interesting learning to where to draw that line and then digging into the award charts and, and understanding what applies to me that I'm reading and what doesn't apply to me and how do I figure out the difference? Do I need to find that on my own? Is there a site in Brazil that could teach me this? Do I need to just go read the award charts and figure it out? So it was really interesting. And then I just, it, you know, turned into a, a hobby of passion. And then luckily I've been really fortunate enough to turn it into, you know, turn my hobby into a career as well. Yeah. I remember probably the first time I came across some of your work, I, you were doing uh, a live session, I believe it was with Miles to Memories at the time, and you were doing like a, a deep dive into some of the different award spot, sweet spots. And I think that's probably where I first came across some of your work and seeing what you did. And I was like, ooh, this guy does all the stuff that, you know, that I really got into this for. And I don't say that I have, um, you know, hundred percent grasp of all these award charts because I they keep changing things all the time. And that's yeah, why, why we have folks like you who are uh you know writing these articles and keeping up with it so that I can go back and reference and say how how am I going to do this or what am I going to do? I, I definitely have a good solid understanding of the award travel space, but I don't always know off the top of my head, you know, what all of the sweet spots, but it's something that I I've since the beginning of my journey into award travel, I've always tried to keep those things in mind is what those sweet spots are and how I can apply that, if not for myself, for helping others in the community. Because, you know, we have so many people that are trying to get into this. And 
and looking for ways to travel with their families, with their, their friends, with their loved ones. And they don't know all these things. So it's like something I just try to commit to memory. And you just did a lot of cool things like that. So you took something that you really deep dived, you did a deep dive in and you turned it into a career. I know you, you did some work with Miles to Memories. You did some freelance work with some of the other publications. I know you landed at the points guy for a while and then uh, ended up here with a ward wallet and you and JT have really upped the ante with what's coming out and the content in award wallet. So it's, it's always fun reading what you guys are working on and uh, really pushing on the content and what's coming out and keeping up. Because when I first started as a War Travel 101 community manager, it was something that we were kind of pushing at and saying, hey, we don't have the newest content. Everybody else has this out here. But, you know, three, four days later, we might finally get it to, you know, share with our communities as well. So that's uh, it's always interesting, you know, looking at those journeys and how everybody approaches it. So when did you make this more of a full-time move then? Yeah. Yeah. So as you said, I, I started the first place that I ever wrote about miles and points was at Bummeries, and which I think is kind of a great tip of anyone who wants to get into this space is just to keep your eyes open. If a place says they were looking for another writer, send us some information. And that's what I did. Miles Memories just have posted something online and said, we're looking to bring on, you know, another two or three writers to help us with stuff. Just send us an email. And I sent an email and said, here's how I think you know, I could offer something different. You know, I live in Brazil. I'm trying to go to all these different countries. So I'm not going to be just writing the same stuff as everyone else. I'm not just, you know, going to Bora Bora and Miami every weekend. You know, I, I could give you some different, unique content. You know, hopefully you like what you hear. And that was really how I got started in this space. I had no experience. And, you know, Sean from Miles to Memories just decided to, you know, give it a shot and see how it went. So I think that's a great way that anyone who is interested in starting to freelance somewhere to just keep your eyes open. And when sites say they're looking for a writer, you know, a word wallet, we have an open form that people can submit if they're interested in potentially writing for us. And we tend to go through those, you know, every so often to see what new stuff has come in and just. If you're interested in, that's what I did. And now here we are. I started writing for Miles to Memories in the middle of 2017. And this is now my full-time career. It became, I started full-time working in the Miles and Points space. I want to say, yeah, it was in 2021. So about two years ago, I had been, do I had been doing it part-time. And then I had another part-time job where I was teaching English online to kids in China, which paid the bills, but the hours were awful. <laughs> if you're going <laughs> to think about it from this, what time, if you're going to put your kid in front of the computer to have him take a class online, what time is it going to be? It's going to be the time when kids get home from school. So three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon in China. Well, what time is that? <laughs> it's like four o'clock in the morning if you're in Florida. So yeah. that, you know, the hours were awful, but you know, it paid the bills. It allowed me to work online. I've been working on online since 2015 when we left New York city. 
so it was really funny because then everyone started freaking out about, you know, this whole work online thing and working from home when the pandemic broke out. And my response was, ah, you'll be fine. I've been doing this for a couple of years. It's going to be okay. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Let's jump into a few of the things that, you know, just some of the credit card nerdy stuff. So tell, tell us what your first credit card was. My first credit card was, I, I don't even remember if it had a name, but I signed up for a card from National City Bank. And you're from Ohio, so you probably remember this bank. Yes, I do. I don't think it exists anymore. Nope. And I was going to, you know, going to college in Ohio, applied for some card. It was purple from National City Bank. And then I think my first real rewards card, um, I got the U.S. Airways credit card, which now, you know, is has been rebranded as the Barclays Aviator Red card. But I got that U.S. Airways card probably in like 2012, 2013. And I remember the first time that I made a redemption, which was actually a great flight redemption. We'll never regret it. I ca- I used my miles to book a f- ticket for a really interesting girl that I had started talking to online when I was living in Germany and flew her over. And now she's my wife. That's awesome. Best redemption ever. There you go. My first flight <laughs> redemption was booking a ticket for my wife to come meet me. And, uh, with the different card offers that are out there, and the card offers have certainly changed over the past 10 years or so since you got your first travel rewards card, what are some of the, or do you work on multiple cards offers now, or do you have a stable of regular cards that you're using for your spend? Um, it's a combination of both. My wife and I had gotten a lot of cards recently and then led to a period where we were getting, you know, some denials for you know, you have a lot of new cards recently. We see a lot of new activity on your credit report. And so we decided to kind of, you know, chill out, let things cool down a little bit. And that timing was pretty good because we got several really nice offers from American Express. We've both had a Delta card for several years. Don't want to close it because it's, you know, an older card. It's helping our credit history. So we had downgraded those cards to the Delta Blue American Express, which has no annual fee. And both of us got a pretty decent offer maybe two or three months ago to upgrade to the Platinum card, spend like $1,000, get 40,000 Delta Sky Miles. And I thought, oh, okay, that's pretty, this matches kind of their mediocre a run-of-the-mill welcome bonus on this card, but I won't have a new account on my credit history. I won't have any inquiries, and, you know, and I can get some bonus Delta Sky Miles just by simply upgrading this card. And then my wife and I both got some offers to add authorized users onto several of our American Express cards, my MX Gold card, my Platinum card, her business Platinum card. So we've been doing those because we haven't had to submit an application. There's no new inquiry, no new accounts showing up on our credit report. And just trying to kind of let things calm down and, you know, earning these other types of bonuses. And then we also were focused on kind of end of the year goals to make sure we met some of our spending goals during the year, make sure I finished up the spending on my Hyatt card so I could, you know, pass the 15,000 in spending, earn that extra free night. You know, there were those chase spending offers that, that, you know, almost everyone was getting for a while of, you know, 5X on this or 4X on this, depending on your offer. 
So I had some pretty decent offers on those that I was trying to just really maximize. But that's a, another thing that it made me kind of reevaluate how do I, you know, what's my best way to earn points when I'm not working on a sign up bonus right now and really kind of digging back through what's in my wallet and, and do I have the things in my wallet that I want to have to match the, the spending that I tend to do? You know, we tend to spend, you know, most of our groceries we get either at like the local supermarket, but sometimes also at Costco and, you know, gas is an expense for everyone, food, paying the bills. So just trying to understand like what cards do I have that I can use or change into another card to help me earn as much as I can during this period where I'm trying to not submit it in new applications. So it's been a nice kind of like back back to basics period for us for the past couple of months. Yeah, it's definitely a marathon, not a sprint here. And and our games certainly evolve as we we go through this. I, I'm constantly looking at, you know, how I've added cards and I've gone through spurts where I don't add a lot. I think during one of the years of the pandemic, I think I went almost a whole year without adding a single card because I was get running into that same issue where I had gone you know, a little bit harder and I was, I started getting denied for everything. So I said, you know what, I'm going to lay off and back off here. And then I, you know, I started again and I started getting approved, you know, after things kind kind of normalized and the banks started getting their, you know, act together as to what they were going to do and how, because they changed a lot of their qualification terms and, and who was going to get qualified under what conditions and things like that happened. So you know, but this year has been a quite an incredible year as far as new cards. I think we're 14, 15 new cards and we may do one or two more before the the year's over. But then, you know, next year it's is are we gonna condense them and how are how will they fit into the overall strategy? Let's talk about some of the places you've been and you've Again, we, we're here with Ryan Smith of Award Wallet. Been to 193 UN countries, 197 destinations as he counts them. And tell me about some of the off the beaten path places that you've been that were uh, maybe something that would surprise listeners as to the fact that they were just extraordinarily beautiful or, or that they blew you away and in, in what your expectations were. Yeah, three countries that I tend to recommend to a lot of people that I just really loved were Bhutan, Poland, and Chile. Chile was super interesting. If you ever look at those lists of like best places for stargazing, the Atacama Desert in northern Chile will be in the top three on that list, no matter what list you're reading. You know, some people might put it as two or one, depending on the list, but it's just... It has a lot of just open space, not a lot of light pollution. And it was the first, well, actually, I would say probably the only place where I've ever just seen like that picture of the stars that you, when you Google cool pictures of stars and you just see that just expanse of stars across the sky, that was it. And it was just really incredible. There were several places in Chile that we really liked, but the the Atacama Desert in the far north was just incredible for that experience of just, you know, going out into the darkness and just looking up 
And we actually got a great tip before we went there to just rent a car and do everything on our own. And we were really happy about that because once we got there, all of these tours to go to these different places were, were just really expensive. And we would have only done probably 10% of what we did if we'd had to pay for these tours. But instead, we just rented a car with a four-wheel drive. And we would just, you know, at nighttime, we would just drive out of the little town, look for somewhere that looked like it was safe to park. And we would just turn off the road, kill the headlights, and just look up. And, you know, that didn't cost us anything but, you know, the cost of renting a car for the day rather than some of those guided tours at night that were like 200 bucks per person. So we saved like a considerable amount of money and just downloaded one of those apps that yeah. you pointed at the sky and it tells you what constellation you're looking at. Um, so Chile was really, really interesting. Poland, I really enjoyed because there's just so much really interesting history in Poland. I thought that the people were super friendly. The food was really interesting. It was very accessible, obviously, because I was living in Germany at the time when I went to Poland. But I think there's just so much really interesting history in Poland. The, and the absolute best museum I have ever been to is the Warsaw Uprising Museum, which just tells the story about how Poland has just been invaded and invaded and invaded by just so many different nations and militaries over time and how, you know, the struggle to maintain their identity and to fight back about, against these invaders coming from East and West over time it was just one of the best most well done most interesting museums i've ever been to so poland i really enjoyed i think the food was really great and very very cheap if you know if you're thinking about in dollars and then uh bhutan was just a mind-blowing experience bhutan is a small country kind of wedged in between india nepal and china and bhutan has a very interesting approach to tourism Kind of in the 70s, they looked at the explosions of tourism in Vietnam and Thailand, and they said that they didn't want that. They basically saw the McDonald's opening on every corner, <laughs> and they said, we don't want this. We want to preserve our identity. And so in order to do that, they limit the number of tourists that can come into the country every day. They don't accept international carriers. The only airlines that can fly into Bhutan are the two national airlines. And they fly from, you know, a couple of airlines nearby in Southeast Asia. And then there's a $200 per day tourism tax to visit the country. And that rightly or wrongly, whatever your opinions on this, it limits the people who go there. It keeps out, you know, people who are, you know, kind of looking for a, like budget backpacker type of travel, which you see a lot in Southeast Asia and Bhutan is pursuing a different type of visitor. So there is definitely a cost. It's $200 a day, and that doesn't include anything. That's just literally for you to be allowed to be in the country today. So there's definitely a cost to be in the country, but the country is so unbelievably clean. Really, it just like I've never noticed how fresh air could be until I was in Bhutan. The country's constitution requires that 60% or more of its land must be covered by natural forest at all times. It's the only carbon negative country in the world. And I stayed at a small luxury hotels property that I booked with Hyatt points that when I say all inclusive, it was all inclusive. My meals got like 
fitness instructor at the gym on site. They had guided meditation in the morning if you wanted to go. The, the massage and spa services, everything on the property was included. And I, you know, and I booked it with points, which was a great deal for me because it's like 500 or 600 per night, depending on when you go. And it was just the most incredible, like, I never knew a hotel could be like this. And so I was like, I got two massages a day while I was there because everything <laughs> was included. Well, do you know, re remember the name of the hotel? It's, it's called the Bhutan Spirit Sanctuary and it's built in an old monastery. So, I mean, it looks like a monastery that you're going to find on the hillside. And it was just, it was incredible. It's a category six property in world of Hyatt. So it's not the cheapest, but if you think about what you're getting, uh, I like it's the number one hotel that my wife is mad. I went to without her. She really wants me to take her back there because it was just incredible. From everything I've seen and from uh, a lot of the folks in the communities who have done Bhutan before, it's definitely something that's piqued my interest as well. Because while you, like you said, rightly or wrongly, a $200 a day tax to keep people out means that you're also not fighting hordes of other people trying to do the same thing that you're trying to do, which is experience that. And some of the, I believe, some of the uh, villages are built on like mountainside cliffs and, and things like that. So it looks really gorgeous, just like an idyllic sit situation to experience. And I'm hoping that someday I get to follow you over there and try that out because that sounds amazing. Yeah, it was it, beautiful is a great description of the country. Let's uh, talk about the flip side of that. You've obviously been a lot of places. So where are some places that uh, you're not looking to return? Yeah. Uh, and I want to caveat this by saying there's always something interesting in, in, in every country. Just some of them aren't for you or aren't for me. And, and there are places that I loved that some of my friends didn't like. And there are places that my friends liked that I didn't enjoy. And uh, two really kind of stick out to me for specific reasons, but then I'll cite kind of like a general reason as well. I really just wasn't very into Comoros, uh, which is like a I mentioned a small island nation off the east coast of Africa. There was just so much bureaucracy for getting into the country. When we showed up, I had all of our return tickets and everything all on my phone ready to show the guy at passport control. And he was just really upset that I didn't have these things printed out. And he took me to this printing shop across the street and I had to pay to use the computer and print out these things so I could show him. And then it turns out I fig figured out that the guy who owned this printing shop was like his cousin or his brother <laughs> or something. And it just really felt like very sideways. And so just all of this bureaucracy just felt like it wasn't worth it. And, and we just, my wife was with me and we both said like, this is not a place that I'm like going to be willing to do this again to come into this country. Um, it, it started on the wrong foot just because of that experience at the airport. Uh, another country, not necessarily because of safety, but another country that I wouldn't go back to is Libya. And it was just because, again, there was so much involved in trying to get there. There are no major international airlines that fly there. And that you can only fly there from two places. One is Istanbul and the other one is Tunisia. So you're not going to book a through ticket. You're going to need to book one ticket to, to Tunisia, then book a separate ticket. But those, all those like Libyan airlines, they don't sell their tickets online. 
So you're either going to need to find some kind of third party that's going to buy it on your behalf, which raises the cost, or you're going to need to show up in person at the airport and try to buy one in cash and hope that there's a seat still available. So that was kind of frustrating. And the visa process is, is just uh, kind of randomly changes all the time. And you don't know what the rules are going to be when you're applying. Uh, and the visa is expensive. So I actually really enjoyed Libya. It has some really interesting history from when it was, you know, the northern coast was colonized by Romans back in the day. And I think those things were super interesting. It was just too much effort for like kind of what I got out of it. And I think that that's been a lot of the places that aren't really high on my list was if there was somewhere else equally as nice, but didn't take as much effort. So did I think that the beaches in Vanuatu, which is really popular for Australian tourists, it's an island nation kind of like off the North coast Mm -hmm. of Australia, but it's really far from us in the U S. So the beaches there, yeah, were really nice. And I really enjoyed the place that I stayed, but I can go to nice beaches much closer to home. So am I going to do the effort to go back to, you know, Vanuatu or to go back to like Kiribati or these other places in the middle of the Pacific where I could go to beaches that are so much easier for me to reach. So it's not that I maybe didn't like some of those places, just maybe the effort isn't worth going back. So with that in mind, you... I I asked you this in the notes and I know the answer, but for people that are listening to the podcast, do you have more than one passport? Yeah, I do. I managed to get Brazilian citizenship when I was living in Brazil with my wife, which has been really nice, not only for just technical reasons, but also I feel safer traveling on my Brazilian passport than I do with a U.S. passport. No one has a bad impression of Brazilians. They see a Brazilian passport and they ask me if I know Neymar. But, you know, some people really like Americans in other countries and some people really don't. And, you know, I've never heard of a Brazilian being kidnapped for ransom (laughs) in another country. Um, So, you know, my wife and I just try to travel on our Brazilian passport if it's, you know, like for like exchange. If, If I don't need a visa and there's no extra tax to get in, I'll probably travel on my Brazilian passport. And then that also helped me with some of the countries where, like, I went to Iran on my Brazilian passport. You can get an online visa for Iran. And then just, you know, once you get it, you can do whatever you want while you're you're there. But if you want to visit Iran with a U.S. passport, the visa process is much, much more complex. You're required to have a tour guide. You cannot go out of your hotel without a tour guide if you're from the U.S. because the two countries are, you know, kind of enemies. So. It, so that kind of changes things. So it it is possible to visit these places with most passports. Um, it just may become easier or more difficult depending on kind of your country's visa situation. But yeah, we, we tend to travel on our Brazilian passports a lot just, you know, because all that people say is something, some reference to soccer. And then that's kind of the end of the discussion <laughs> when they, when they see a Brazilian passport. But really, you know, the only country that it really becomes an issue with a U.S. passport is that the U.S. has instituted a ban on U.S. citizens going to North Korea. And I went to North Korea before I had Brazilian citizenship. I went on my U.S. passport back in like the very beginning of 2016 
before this rule changed. And there's something to be said that you probably, it's, it's kind of like going to Cuba. There are U.S. citizens who go to Cuba and circumvent the rules all the time. And you can do that and probably no one's going to find out. However, for North Korea, you have to go with a tour group and the tour group isn't willing to take that risk. They're not willing to take the risk of bringing you and then someone finds out and they've run afoul of the U.S. government. And like, so it's just not worth it for the tour groups, even though theoretically you probably could go because North Korea doesn't stamp passports. They know that it's probably like creates some problems for you if you have this stamp from North Korea in your passport. So like Israel, Cuba, North Korea, they all don't stamp your passport. However, uh, it's just not worth it for the tour groups. So that's really the only country that with a U.S. passport, it's like you can't go there right now until something changes. But other than that, it really is possible to go to every country. And if somebody, you know, hears this and thinks that it sounds cool, you know, start with all the other countries. And then maybe by the time you, maybe by the time you only have one <laughs> left, North Korea will change its situation. Let me ask the final question before we jump into our tip of the week. And it, it was something that I don't have listed here, but it was something I was thinking of as you were talking about going to all these different places and living in, in different places and having multiple passports. How, how many languages are you versed in? Um, I would say I'm, I'm fluent in English, French, Portuguese, and can pretty well get by in Spanish because it's similar enough to Portuguese and been to enough Spanish speaking countries. And then I know, thank you. Where's the toilet? And how much does this cost? <laughs> in probably a bunch of other languages. I try to at least learn a couple of words before I go to a country just to kind of show some respect. If nothing else, just learning how to say hello and thank you and goodbye, just as a sign of respect when I'm in their country. I think I feel like that tends to actually really open a lot of doors. Just a, you know, it's such a, a small effort, I think, on my behalf. And then I've noticed that people's interactions with me have really opened up when they see that I took the time to learn how to say good morning or you know, thank you very much in their language. And they really appreciate that. And then it has led to some really interesting experiences when I was in. And this was long enough ago that I now don't remember what it was, but I learned how to say like, hello and thank you in the area that I visited in Nigeria. And this guy who was like a bellhop at the hotel that I was at was just thought that it was really nice that I had learned this. And I was talking to him about, you know, what should I do in this area? Any tips? And he was like, well, I get off work in an hour. Do you want to come out with me and my friends after we get off work? And I went to this park and saw the like local rap battle finals of this competition of like MCs in Nigeria having this rap battle competition. And I went to the finals that night just by simply, you know, showing a, a gesture of, you know, learning a couple words in their language. So it definitely opens some doors. It's a, it's a great tip for traveling to a new place. Incredible. That's always fun things when, when you do that. And I know that when uh, people come here and or I've uh, talked to people from foreign countries here, you know, I never judged them for their 
inability to speak English in the same manner in which I speak it. You know, the fact is, is that they, they often can speak my language better than I'm ever going to speak theirs. So, you know, it, for sure. taking that time is, I did find it opened up some doors when I was over in Europe this summer as well. And, uh, I, you know, it's my, my country of origin back from my family name. And I don't even know the language all that well, but they speak English incredibly well. So it's fun to be able to have those communications and find out that you really are, you're similar people deep down. That's really what it comes down to as it boils down. Yeah, we're, that we're all just people and, and finding just a way to start a connection can open some really interesting doors when you're traveling. Awesome. Well, Ryan, thank you for sharing all these things and congratulations on your journey. And we have a section called Tip of the Week. We usually share something and uh, you had something interesting here to share with our listeners. Yeah. And we actually posted about this on Award Wallet recently. And I think it's a tip that um, people shouldn't overlook is just repricing your trips even after you've booked them because prices can go down. I save hundreds on points, cash every year just by paying attention to the price of what I've booked. And then if it goes down, rebooking it or asking the airline for a voucher or something like this. Um, so it's it's worth paying attention to what you've paid. And then if that same item costs less, whether it's at your local supermarket or it's a flight around the world, then you should be paying attention if the price goes down. Awesome. And if members wanted to reach out and follow you, where might they find you? Sure. You can find me on Twitter or, or I guess X, formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> I still haven't learned how, I still haven't learned to call it X. I just call it Twitter. Um, I you can find to me update. on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I'm not getting on to 2.0. I'm still on Twitter 1.0. You can find me at Ryan Smith Travel. And if you've got questions or you thought I said something weird and you want to know how to get to a certain country, you can just always tweet at me and can probably share some tips with you. Awesome. And for questions and, and comments in the Award Travel 101 community, we have over 100,000 members who love traveling the world for less. If you're looking for more intermediate and advanced strategies, join us in Award Travel 201. And if you're interested in booking time with our team, check out our award travel one-on-one -on -one consulting service. You can always reach us at contactawardtravel at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or suggestions. And Ryan will be at our next meetup located in San Antonio, Texas, April 26th through the 28th of 2024. It's currently sold out, but he will be presenting there as well as a past guest, uh, Justin Bakula, who is in episode 43, and uh, my past Award Travel 101 uh, community manager and partner, Tony Perkins Southam, will also be there. And she will be coming up on an upcoming episode of the Award Travel 101 podcast. Really excited about this. They've been doing this for over 130 years. We'll be there during Fiesta. And so I uh, hope to see the parade and we'll get some tickets for that. And so members can see that as well. So it looks to be like a good time. If you want to jump on the wait list, we have a wait list for members who are interested in trying to get there. We may open up another round of tickets as well as we get a little closer in. So you can check out that more on an Eventbrite. 
And we appreciate you joining and listening every week to the Award Travel 101 podcast and supporting the group and community. I want to wish everyone a happy new year and safe travels. Take care, everyone.